1: tripod right now. It looks like your body is a tripod. (laughs) I just looked up and all I can see is your head and your shoulders and then the rest you're like on top of a tripod.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I think that's going to go down as one of the weirder songs that you have ever sung in this opening. (laughs) I I was prepared for a little rendition of like on top of old Smoky or something. <laughs> on top um, of my
1: tripod, your head is sitting and you are far away again. but that is okay because you're doing a show and you're on my tripod. <laughs> okay, this, show, this episode's off to a good start.
0: <laughs> you couldn't even you couldn't even try to rhyme. On top I of the tripod, tri- you are sitting. You're so far away now, but we're not quitting.
1: Oh, we're not quit. Oh, yeah, there it goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So th- that's where my brain is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> doing good, doing good. But yes, Ken so is, what's up,
0: listeners? How Ken you doing? Ken is on my tripod um,
1: because he's back in West Virginia. <laughs>
0: Country roads take me home.
1: Mm-hmm. Ooh, a little, little uh, LaCroix action. Yeah,
0: doing the uh, the black raspberry.
1: Ooh, I have black cherry. Waterloo brand.
0: <laughs> Which is fun because neither of them are actually black. Both cans are purple.
1: Yeah, both. Well, I guess because, like, both of those fruits are actually, like, reddish purple. <laughs> They're not actually Yeah, black. I
0: don't think there's such a thing as a black raspberry. No, I call a that a blackberry.
1: Berry. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like blue it's like raspberry. Every time I see blue raspberry
0: yeah. fl- flavored anything, I'm like, no it's not. You're a liar.
1: Like there's no such thing as a blue raspberry. Like what does it taste like? It tastes like blue, which is mm. amazing. I love the taste of blue. <laughs> like whenever I have like icy pops, like I want the blue one. Like that's what I want. <laughs> I love blue raspberry like sour candies and stuff, but I'm like it's not an actual flavor. It is tastes like blue. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, we've just been lied to for our entire lives, and that's, well, you know, yes. fine.
1: Oh, I heard a really, really crazy fun fact. Uh, I was driving to UPS to send Ken some clothes because our movers finally came, y'all. Woo-hoo. We, we got our stuff, so I sent Ken a box of uh, with a winter coat and, you know, some, some other options other than, like, the three shirts and two pairs of pants he got at the thrift store. Thank you. But I was driving to the UPS store, and tomorrow— the planet Earth will officially reach 8 billion people. Or is it 800 billion? I don't
0: remember. No, 8 billion. 8 okay. billion, not 800 billion.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds scarier. But yes, yeah, so, and they were saying, I think it was 1974, there were 4 billion people. Yeah. So, in just, so 8 years before I was born, there were 4 billion people. And now i am just turned 40, and there are 8 billion people on the planet. That's scary. Yeah, it took us
0: like 100,000 years to to get the first 4 billion, and yep. then the second 4 billion came together in like 45.
1: But that was kind of a random fun fact that I heard that was like, whoa, <laughs> wow, that's dark. That, that is weird. So, you know, I thought I'd lighten well, up and, the podcast with that. And
0: I remember when we crossed seven, it wasn't oh yeah. That long ago.
1: It wasn't that long ago. I do remember that. Huh. Oh well. Um yay, but the blue but the Democrats uh retained the Senate, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: Woo woo We're 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 um we're lashing on to good news where we can get it. And that yeah. is uh that is good news.
1: Um also if you're in Georgia, get the fuck out and vote in the the runoff
0: so get out and vote if you're in georgia and if you are anywhere else um take five seconds right now and stand up and dance
1: yeah stand up
0: right now and dance for five seconds uh and if you really want to make me happy take a video and send it to us at fifty fifty artsproduction arts production at gmail.com that's five zero five zero arts production at gmail.com take a take a video of you doing your little five second dance I'm going to give you five seconds of music right here I like it <laughs> cool uh, so I uh, I hope you enjoyed that that quick little um, respite from the real world a chance to dance your problems away
1: yeah I'm having my respite from the real world in this little studio it's like my little Zen studio and it's so quiet in here. It's like, mm, I've got my lamp on, and ooh, it's nice. <laughs> But uh, why did we build this studio? Oh, because we do this podcast. What's this podcast about? It's not about politics. It's not about dancing. And it's not about the population of the planet. Uh,
0: oftentimes, I genuinely don't remember. Uh, I think what the podcast that the exists primarily as an excuse for us to fuck around for an hour and a half every week.
1: Well, I think that's the point of all podcasts. Let's be real. <laughs>
0: Uh, so, this podcast is traditionally a um, comedy literature podcast um, with a recent focus on historical clowns.
1: Yep, and it's going to continue today. So.
0: <laughs> uh, but what, what we traditionally do is uh, read short stories. That we have selected out of the public domain this week Heather has selected a story that I am going to attempt to read sight unseen for you and along the way we're going to um, acknowledge any antiquated racism look up any words that we don't know and laugh every time someone uses a euphemism for a penis
1: which is really often honestly. So shockingly I'm,
0: frequently. I'm yeah. pretty
1: sure that's what the success of this podcast is just purely on dick jokes. <laughs> um, so dick jokes and clowns, that's what we're here for. So speaking of clowns, mm. so it's clown corner time. <whistles> so this week there's multiple levels to clown corner. But uh, first, the first thing I'm going to do is just share three fun facts about clowns. Um, okay. Clowns have appeared in countless novels, performances, and films for well over 200 years, um, and they've become, you know, famously known for horror movies because they're scary. Um, so I just thought I'd give you some background. the The word clown first appeared in 1560. So the first time the actual word clown was used. So the first written documentation of the word in English appears in text in 1560. Back then it was written as clown with an e at the end or clone which is C L O Y N E.
0: So clown.
1: Cloyne. Uh clown or cloyne. Oh look at
0: a little cloyne.
1: <laughs> it was used within text to mean robust and uh, a peasant, like a, a fat peasant,
0: <laughs> a clown. Ah, <laughs> uh, look at the wee little fat peasant, <laughs> Kloin.
1: Uh It said that the origin of the word uh, comes from Icelandic, which I love, which means cl- uh, the word Cluni, which is K L U N N I. Um, so like George Clooney, uh, <laughs> like George. Yeah,
0: I've always uh, thought he was basically a clown.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the word Clooney in Icelandic means clumsy person.
0: I've always thought George Clooney was kind of a clumsy clown. Yeah, <laughs> He is a clumsy clown. Sense. George Clumsy.
1: George Clumsy. <laughs> this
0: week's episode brought to you by George Clooney's defamation defense lawyer.
1: <laughs> Ooh, that'll get us some publicity. Do it. <laughs> so then uh, 2016, this is our next fun fact, was the year... Of the Great Clown Scare.
0: 456 years <laughs> later. Yeah.
1: In 2016, the world saw the Great Clown Scare across the globe. There was an abnormal number of clown sightings that were mysterious. Uh, the sightings uh, that people saw were dressed as evil clowns. So, specifically evil clowns. And I actually remember hearing about this on, like, Colbert or something. Um People were dressed as evil clowns, and people kept seeing them. They found them hanging around in forests and at schools, (laughs) which is terrifying. Um, This did not just happen in the U.S., but in Canada, the U.K., and 17 other countries around the world. So it wasn't like this weird TikTok phenomenon, which is before TikTok, but like, it wasn't like somebody saw it on the internet and was like, I'm going to dress up like a scary clown and do it like in one little area. It was around the world. So
0: as I'm recording here, sitting at a desk, uh, staring out a window, and now every time the wind blows, <laughs> I'm going like, is that a clown?
1: See, I just ruined is your that day. that clown? You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone at uh, home.
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to... Pull these shades and never open them again.
1: Yep. Um, when I come visit you, I'm probably going to dress like a clown and scare you one night.
0: There's a dog <laughs> running around in the uh, in the yard back there, and and I he keeps moving, and I'm going clown. No.
1: <laughs> dog clown. Oh, that'd be a cute costume. Dog clown. Dog clown. So the first sighting. Dog clown. St-
0: woof, woof, <laughs> woof woof stab.
1: Woof woof stab. Woof woof stab. That's. Uh, trademark, trademark, that might be a good movie. Uh, trademark. TM, <laughs> TM.
0: Dog Clown, woof woof stab, bitches.
1: <laughs> I'd watch that movie. Um, take that wishbone, bitch.
0: <laughs> What's the story, Dog Clown?
1: Stab, 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 stab. <laughs> Um, Okay, so back to to the random clown sightings, even though now I want a dog clown. Um, The first sighting that uh, sparked this like whole clown sighting was believed to happen in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, And it was said to have been a publicity stunt to promote the release of a new horror film. So it's kind of like the the movie that's out right now, or just came out. Smile. Smile. Yeah, they had like those creepy girls like sitting by. It was so creepy. Like they're just, like smiling. So apparently someone did this, and then it just kind of took off, and people don't know why. Um, countries took a lot of precautions to deal with the global clown situation. <laughs> this included banning the selling of clown costumes. Banning wearing clown outfits and masks in certain areas and putting out government warnings in place for safety. So this became like <laughs> an actual, like, like they people were terrorizing people. <laughs> like, and no Warning. one knows why Clowns still. Clowns
0: are not funny.
1: Yeah, like. And to, and to this day, no one knows why that happened, why 2016 became like this. Like, they don't know if there's something on the dark web that people, like, found out. And they're like, yeah, everyone dressed like clowns or something. But, like, they didn't, none of them, like, committed any crimes, like, that they know of. It was just they were just being scary.
0: I mean, 2016 <laughs> was kind of a fucked up shit show of a year anyway. It's possible that it was just sort of apropos of nothing.
1: That's is true. It's just like, <laughs> oh well, fuck. We're fucked. So, let's dress like clowns. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, and our final fun fact for the clown the clown corner of the day is uh Clowns International is an association for clowns. So, it's like there is an actual like I, it's not a union, but it is a uh it is a formerly known as the International Circus Clowns Club that was formed <laughs> in 1947. The organization was formed following a tradition that started in the early 1940s um, by the circus and circus clowns. Billy Smart was the person that uh, organized it because he's super smart. Uh, <laughs> sure. uh, yeah. So... I'm going to cover this person next time because I, I didn't have time to do this, but uh, the very first clown ever, like the first like clown in the traditional sense that we know it now with the white face, the first right. guy was Joseph Grimaldi, but this, this association was created uh, every year the clowns that when they would renew their contract, they would mark the occasion by visiting Joseph Grimaldi's grave in London. Oh. So so it became a reason for everyone to gather and like we renewed our contract, we're gonna do another year as a clown and we're gonna pay tribute to the original clown. So they were encouraged to visit and lay Reese and pay respect to the father figure of the clown industry. Uh um, lovely. Yeah. And it continues to this day. So if you if you're if you're a clown and you would like to join Clowns International, I think you can find their website somewhere. So <laughs> So, yeah. Clowns. So, that's Clown Corner. So, this week, you're actually going to be covering a story by a new author for us. Great.
0: So, some fun facts.
1: So, this is Alice Eleanor Jones. Alice Eleanor Jones.
0: Name doesn't even sound familiar.
1: Exactly. So... She was born March 30th, 1916 in Philadelphia, where I am oh, right now. Cool. Yep. Uh, her father was Henry Staten Jones, and he worked as a photo engraver for a publishing firm. And her mother, Lucy um, Shuler Jones, uh, stayed home and raised her and her younger sister. So Alice was very well educated. Jones graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1936 with an English degree, but then she went on to earn her PhD in nineteen forty four. So this is a woman with a doctorate in nineteen forty four, which is that's awesome. was was very rare. Um and she wrote her dissertation on the seventeenth century dramatist Sharkley Mamarin, which I'm like, okay. Now I kinda wanna I don't know. I don't know up.
0: why like I have to I don't know why I keep having to explain this, but you're not allowed to just make up words. <laughs>
1: Um, I will make up whatever words I want. Thank you. This is my podcast, and I'm here to fuck around for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yes, uh, shake, sh- I swear it says shakerly marmion is this person's, it's a 17th century dramatist, so. Uh, yeah, shaken
0: marmite, yeah.
1: Shaken marmite, Ooh, yuck. Marmite's bad, doesn't, don't shake it up. <laughs> uh, so It's a marmite
0: she- martini, shaken, not stirred. <laughs>
1: God. Anyway, that just made me want to vomit. Jones married uh, a fellow graduate student. Uh, his name was Homer, and she moved with him to Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. No idea where that is. Uh, Not they had far two- from you. Oh, cool. They had two sons, Jeffrey and Gregory, and um, then she began writing. So she had a very brief career, but a very uh, influential one. Um... She began writing speculative fiction, and she published five stories in um, a a smattering of magazines between April and December of 1955. So this was all within a year. She wrote her what people would call her five most influential stories. Okay. So in April 55, she published her first short story, Life Incorporated in fantasy and science fiction under her maiden name. Okay. So she continued to use her maiden name in, instead, which was un, unheard of at the time. In June of the same year, Joan Jones published Created He Them, which is one I kind of want to have us read on here, so I don't want to go into too much detail because it sounds fascinating, but it's not the one you're reading this week. Okay. So. It's basically a story that has been um, compared to or said to have inspired Margaret Atwood's The Handmaids Tale. Oh yes, so it's right. uh, so it's called created he them it's a short story um, and it takes place in a science fiction world uh, during World War three so, It's funny because what she did with the money from this story when it sold, because it did very well, but she got this, she got the check for this and people say it's kind of ironic because it's about these, you know, submissive women and like women being tortured. And she, she went out and she went on a shopping spree and bought a special, (laughs) she said, she said she brought herself an extra special dress, the sort that wives of professors normally only look at in shops. (laughs) Great. So she got a fancy ass dress because she wrote a, a badass story. So good for yeah. her. Um
0: go out and, and treat yourself. When your art pays off, go out and treat yourself.
1: Yeah. But that's really all I mean, it's hard to find information about her. She didn't have, I mean, she didn't have an ex- like long career. She continued to write, um, but she um didn't write as much science fiction after that. She continued to write and was published in uh, magazines like Red Book, Ladies Home Journal, The Saturday Evening Post, American Girl, and Seventeen Magazine. Um, <laughs> she contributed both fiction and nonfiction well into the 60s. So, and then she passed away in 1981 and is buried in bala Sinwald, Pennsylvania.
0: bala um, Kinwind
1: bala Kenwin. Oh, you know where that is. That's good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> also, not far from you.
1: Oh, good. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that. So they're all really just in Pennsylvania. They're all just in Philadelphia. It's just, you know, yeah. those are just like the suburbs of Philadelphia. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're, okay. they're, or, or things that were completely separate towns once upon a time, but the city has grown and swallowed them.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the story you're going to be reading today, I could not find any uh, copyright because once again, it falls under one of those weird sci-fi stories that didn't do copyright, <laughs> like pulp fiction sure. stuff. And the title of the story you will be reading, "The Happy Clown." Great. Um, and it was first published in If Magazine, December 1955. So uh, let's start the fire and let's let's see what's up with this clown.
0: The Happy Clown by Alice Eleanor Jones. Stephen Russell was born a misfit, a nonconformist, and for the first five years of his life, he made himself and his parents extremely unhappy.
1: Oh, well, that's what kids love to do. (laughs) (laughs) Like, hi, thanks for making me. Now your life's going to suck.
0: (laughs) Now you're not going to sleep for the next four years.
1: Well, that is true, <laughs> it's from what I hear.
0: The 21st century was perfect, and this inexplicable child did not like perfection. <laughs> the first trouble arose over his food. His mother did not nurse him since the doctors had proved that baby lack and the soft rainbow-colored plastic containers in which it was warmed and offered were both a vast improvement on nature. Oh, Steven shit. Stephen drank... <laughs> yeah, so there's, they've, they've figured out that fake milk is better for babies than real milk.
1: That, that pe- like, pedia, whatever, or what's it fucking called? I mean, this is actually ba- baby lack is, like, like is... It's a, a play on an actual like formula name, like?
0: Well, I mean, baby, la- it's lac as in lactose, so la- it's lactose. milk, yeah, for babies. Yeah, um, but it's clearly just they've they've come up with a a really healthy formula.
1: Sure, they have, because this is science fiction. I'm sure it's going to work out really well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Stephen drank the baby lack, but though it was hard to credit in so young a child, sometimes his face wore an expression of pure distaste. (laughs) A little later, he rejected the baby Oatsies and Fruitsies and Meatsies, and his large half-focused eyes wept at the jolly pictures on the Jarsies.
1: Um... Why does everything sound like it's a uh, mom talking to her baby? And like, it's like, with baby oatsies, you want a baby jarsies? Yes. Because <laughs> that's what it is. He rejected
0: the baby oatsies and fruitsies no, and meaties. You know what?
1: No meatsies. And his
0: large half-focused eyes wept at the jolly pictures on the jarsies.
1: <laughs> this is like how I talk to Lina, just so you know.
0: <laughs> he disliked his plastic dish made like a curled up jolly kitten. And his spoon with the happy clown's head on the handle. He turned his face away determinedly and began to pine, reducing his mother to tears and his father to frightened anger. The doctor said cheerily, oh, there's nothing the matter with him. He'll eat when he gets hungry enough. And Stephen did to a degree, but not as if he enjoyed it. One day, when he was nearly a year old, his mother carried his kitty corner with the dancing dogsies on the pad into her bedroom, put him in it, and began to take things out of the bottom bureau drawer. They were old things, and Harriet Russell was ashamed of them. She had said more than once to her husband Richard, only half-joking, I couldn't give them away, and I'd be ashamed for anybody to see them in our trash.
1: Oh, she's a delight. <laughs> I love that No, hus- she's
0: just—she's just embarrassed by, like, all of their stuff is old and worn out and used up.
1: But I love that she cares so much about what other people think that even putting it in the trash is bad. <laughs> she seems <That's>, super stable.
0: <laughs> that's a very 50s sentiment.
1: It sure is, yeah. Also, I want to point out her husband's name is Dick. <laughs> his name's Richard.
0: It's Dick Russell.
1: <laughs> dick Russell. <laughs> she rustled his dick a little too much, and that's how they ended up with this baby. So.
0: Yep. That's what you get when you rustle a dick.
1: <laughs> I don't know why.
0: That's what we call, that's what we call a dick rustle.
1: That's how you end up with 8 billion people on the planet right there. Too much dick rustling. Yeah.
0: They were old silver, uh, these are the things that they- Yes. She was afraid to throw away. They were old silver, knives and forks and spoons that looked like what they were, unadorned, and a child's plain silver dish and cup and one small spoon with a useful curly handle. They had belonged to Harriet's great grandmother. Once a year, Harriet took the things out and polished them and furtively put them back. This year, Stephen cried, "Ma!" Stretching out his hands toward the silver and uttering a string of determined sounds which were perfectly clear to his mother. She smiled at him lovingly, but shook her head. "'No, Stevie. Mumsy's precious baby doesn't want those nasty old things. No, he doesn't. Play with your happy clown, sweetheart.' Stephen's face got red, and he squeezed his eyes shut, opened his mouth, and howled until his mother passed him the dish and cup and curly spoon to play with. At mealtime, he could not be parted from them, and Harriet had to put away the plastic dish and spoon. Thereafter, for the sake of the container, he tolerated the thing contained and thrived and grew fat.
1: Fat baby! We
0: like a fat baby.
1: It's a fat baby. You like the more rolls the better.
0: Yeah. Stephen did not like his rockaby crib that juggled him gently and sang him songs about the happy clown all night long. No!
1: And he howled
0: when they turned it off. He was a clean boy and to his mother's amazement, trained himself to be dry day and night by the age of 14 months without the aid of the singing toity or the happy clown alarm. So she bought him a little folks youth bed with a built-in juggler and happy clowns on the corners and a television set in the footboard. It was a smaller copy of his parents' bed even to the Happy Clowns.
1: Why are there clowns all over this fucking, up, like, house? There's so many clowns. This is clearly
0: clowns. a clown-heavy society.
1: This is creepy as fuck. Like, why? Oh, is it like, is the, I wonder if the Happy Clown is, like, Big Brother.
0: It's like Mickey Mouse.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, instead of Mickey, it's, it's, it's like.
0: The Happy Clown, the Happy Clown is the House of Mouse. The G- Disney yeah. is everywhere.
1: It's pretty funny to me that his parents have clowns on their bed. That's that that's weird too. (laughs) So they're like those. Well, so this is what
0: happens in the future when Clown Corner takes off too much and everyone becomes obsessed with clowns.
1: Oh my God! I just got incepted so bad. Like we
0: we're we're reading our
1: future right here. (laughs) What we what we created.
0: Stephen did not like that either, and if his parents persisted in turning the bed on after he had learned to turn it off, he climbed out and slept on the floor.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, this picture is terrifying.
0: That is a horrifying picture. Why are there so many fucking clowns everywhere?
1: Holy shit, there's clowns everywhere. No wonder this child is so unhappy. Oh my god,
0: there's like, why is that one,
1: they're holding the bed up. It looks like they're having sex with the bed.
0: Well, and then there's there's also a weird sort of pre-Snoopy-looking Snoopy dog dancing in the picture. Yeah. And then what appears to be some sort of weird cyberpunk chihuahua with an anime haircut. Well,
1: and then, like, on the magazine on the floor, there's, like, a cre- like smirky, scary clown face. Like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, yep, I don't like will, this. This is going to be definitely put on the um, the promotional material for the week. Oh, yeah. That is terrifying.
0: Harriet said worriedly to her husband, I don't know what could be the matter with him, Dickie. He's peculiar.
1: (laughs) She called him Dickie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Richard tried to comfort her. Never mind, Harry. He'll outgrow it.
1: And he calls his wife Harry. (laughs) So their their celebrity
0: nickname is Harry Dick.
1: Harry Dick.
0: (laughs) Stephen did not outgrow it. When he became too big for the curly spoon and dish and cup, he demanded a knife and fork and spoon from the bureau drawer and ate his meals from the plainest dish he could find. He ate them with his back stubbornly turned to the television set away from the morning cartoons and the noontime kitties lunch club and the evening happy clown.
1: This kid is smart. He's like, I am not going to be brainwashed by this fucking demonic clown that has clearly taken (laughs) over the society. (laughs) This is like the longest clown corner ever.
0: The Happy Clown had been an American institution for 30 years. He was on television for an hour every night at dinner time with puppets and movies and live singers and dancers and his own inimitable brand of philosophy and humor. Everybody loved The Happy Clown. He had been several different actors in 30 years, but his makeup never changed. The beaming face drawn in vivid colors, the rotund body that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelzies, and the (laughs) chuckling infectious laugh. The happy clown was always so cheerful and folksy and sincere. He believed passionately in all the products he instructed his viewers to buy, and one was entirely certain that he used them all himself.
1: Okay, so this guy's like Ronald McDonald meets Walmart meets like Big Brother, because <laughs> yeah. he's he's selling you all the shit that people yeah. buy. So he's he's just a a giant advertisement and but super charming and funny while he does it. It's like if I love it's like if Lucy um, from I Love Lucy or like Bing Crosby or Dick Van Dyke had had like clown makeup on and sold people shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it sounds like he's got a variety show.
1: Yeah, um, that's what it sounds like.
0: Like, um, I'm thinking sort of like um
1: Lawrence Welk.
0: Lawrence Welk, yeah.
1: Also, everyone in this, this world talks like a, they're a fucking child, which is creepy. Yeah,
0: I'm guessing because for the last thirty years no one has actually been able to grow up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because they've all been um
1: brainwashed by the happy clown.
0: Yeah. they they've 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 all been wrapped into happy clown.
1: And this kid's like, I don't want a happy clown. I want a fucking scary clown.
0: (laughs) I just want a fucking plate and a spoon. Why does it have to have a goddamn clown on it? He gave one much more than advertising, though. Some of his nightly gems of wisdom, he called them nuggets, were really wonderful. They made one think. A favorite nugget, which people were always writing in and asking him to repeat, went like this. We're all alike inside, folks, and we ought to be all alike Outside.
1: Oh, God.
0: <laughs> the Happy Clown's viewers were not children and adults. They were kitties and folks. hmm After the Happy Clown went off the air, the Happy Kitties went to bed to lie for a while, looking at the jolly kitten and the dancing dogsy until, lulled by the juggler, they went gently to sleep. After that came the cowboys and spacemen, carryovers for any happy kitties with insomnia. For really meaty programs, one had to stay up past ten. Then the spectaculars began, and the quiz shows, and the boxing and wrestling. Stephen did not like the happy clown, or the jolly kitten, or the dancing dogsy. Yeah, he's Sometimes not twelve,
1: he, he's not five years old, even though he is. <laughs> he is.
0: Sometimes he began to grow interested in the cowboys or spacemen, but when they stopped in the middle of an adventure to talk about how they could not possibly rope the steers or shoot the asteroids without a good breakfast of Cornseys and choco milco, which everybody ate, just everybody, <laughs> Stephen climbed out of bed and slept on the floor.
1: Okay, again, uh, this is actually reminding me of the Truman show a little bit now because like a little bit of Truman
0: show, a little bit of Wally. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Stephen did not like the records or the talking books. And when he went to Kitty Garden, he viewed the televised lessons with a cold eye. For some reason, which he could not have explained, he wanted to learn to read, but they would not teach him till he was 7, and so he taught himself from the letters on the jarseys. But then there was nothing to read except the newspapers and the magazines, which he puzzled over patiently, getting most of the words right after a while. The many advertisements were easiest. They used pictures and the simplest of language. His parents thought it was very cunning of him to look at the printing like that so wisely as if he could read it. He said once to Harriet, I can read it, but she said, oh, Stevie, you're teasing, Mumsy, and looked so frightened at his fresh peculiarity that the child said gravely, yes, teasing. Oh, God. (laughs) He wished he had a silent book. He knew there were such things, but there were none at home. There were few silent books anywhere. There were none in Kitty Garden.
1: Oh, I do not like this society. It is creepy as fuck. It's like uh, now it's also very uh um, Pleasantville meets um, like Stepford Wives. Like it's all like Yeah, super, a little bit of that, but I'm also thinking crisp like crisp and clean and and no one's educated and
0: Yeah, it's also a little bit of idiocracy. Do you remember that movie?
1: Uh, I don't.
0: <laughs> okay. So the basic premise of idiocracy I feel like it's a Dax Shepard movie or something like that. (laughs) Um, But the basic premise of Idiocracy is that in the future, um, we've reached a point where all of the highly educated people in the world have decided to hold off on having kids, and all of the incredibly stupid people in the world are having them by the dozens. And so a little ways down the road, all that are left are really stupid people. And Dax Shepard, who is a guy, I think it's him, whoever the main character is, Um, basically he, he accidentally gets like frozen in, in like a cryogenic stasis chamber or something. Okay. And he, he unfreezes in the future where everyone is incredibly dimwitted. And when he unfreezes, he is the smartest person in the world.
1: So, idiocracy, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm an idiot. It is not Dax Shepard. It's Luke Wilson.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Like Owen Wilson's yeah. brother, Luke Wilson. Yeah,
1: like from yeah. like the other Wilson that was in uh, um, Legally Blonde. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and they're both in Royal Tannenbaums, I believe.
1: Yes, yeah. Okay, I'm going to check that out.
0: Weirdly not playing brothers.
1: Well, that's um, hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's... I say it's a really good movie. That's not true. Um, <laughs> it's uh, an interesting movie. Interesting concept. Yeah, I mean. Um,
1: but yeah, this it's
0: it was uh, it was directed by Mike Judge. Um, Dax Shepard is in it. Oh,
1: okay. So he was. He is somewhere near the movie. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, it's also got um, Maya Rudolph, Terry Crews.
1: Oh my God.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah.
1: So it's got kind of a kick-ass cast, actually. Yeah. well then I'm gonna have yeah, to yeah. check this out and it is yeah this story is just reminding me of a lot of like of of these kinds of movies like these almost like dystopian yeah. like realities and yeah
0: yeah yeah anyway, anyway idiocracy yeah um check it out if uh if you want to and when you do tell them campfire classics sent you yeah
1: yeah get that residual, when Luke Wilson gets his residual check, you let him know we sent you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stephen was not happy in Kitty Garden. The enthusiasm the other kitties showed for the lessons appalled him. The kitties themselves appalled him. (laughs) They joined so passionately in the group play, clutching each other with their hot, moist hands. (laughs) Panting and grinning into each other's faces. They were always clutching and panting and grinning in large, noisy groups with large community smiles. They confused him. He could not tell them apart. Stephen retired to the corner and turned his back, and when they clutched and panted and grinned at him, he hit them.
1: Okay. I don't condone the violence, but uh, yeah, these kids sound annoying as fuck. (laughs)
0: I'm currently relating a little too strongly with Stephen Russell. (laughs) The Kitty Garden Monitor had to report of him to his unhappy parents that he was uncooperative and (laughs) antisocial. He would not merge with the group. He would not acquire the proper attitudes for successful community living. He would not adjust.
1: Don't conform, bitch. Don't conform.
0: When the lesson about the birdsies and the beesies was telecast, (laughs) he not only refused to participate in the ensuing period of group experimentation, but lost color and disgraced himself by being sick in his corner. It was a painful interview.
1: Wait, what?
0: Um, Apparently, they got the talk about the birds and the bees and then had a child orgy.
1: Ew! Yeah, I was about to say, what the fuck just happened?
0: That's what that sounded like to me.
1: I don't like that at all.
0: (laughs) No, that's really not cool.
1: Yeah, that's... uh, uh, No. No, no, no.
0: (laughs) Good job being sick, Stephen.
1: Yeah, um, good job saying nope. Not into that.
0: At the end of it, the monitor recommended the clinic. Richard appreciated her delicacy, The clinic would be less expensive than private psychiatry, and after all, the manager of a supermarket was no millionaire. Harriet said to Richard when they were done, Dickie, he isn't outgrowing it. He's getting worse. What are we going to do? It was a special tragedy since Harriet was unable to have any more kitties. And if this one turned out wrong, <laughs> Richard said firmly, We'll take him to the clinic. They'll know what to do. Oh
1: no, I'm getting some like return to Oz vibes. This is not good. Don't take the child to the shock <laughs> therapy clinic. Oh man.
0: So I figured it out. This episode is just going to be the episode where we name drop every movie that we can think of.
1: Well, it's interesting because it's <laughs> it's reminding me of so many things. Like
0: The first thing they did to Steven was to talk to him. The psychiatrist made him lie down on a foam rubber couch, kitty's model, with the happy clown motif on the slip cover, and said with a beaming face, Now, Stevie, what seems to be the trouble?
1: Oh my god, punch this person in the face. Punch them, punch them.
0: The boy turned his head away from the psychiatrist's shining teeth and said, My name's not Stevie, it's Steven. <laughs> He was a thin little boy, rather undersized. The baby fat had melted away fast when he began to be exposed to Kitty garden. He had dark hair and big eyes and an uncommonly precise way of speaking for a child of five. The psychiatrist said... Oh, but we're going to be friends, Stevie, and friends always use nicknames, don't they? My name is William, but everybody calls me Willie. You can call me Uncle Willie. Why, ew, the boy no. said politely, I'd rather not, please.
1: Yeah, I don't want to call anyone Uncle Willie or Daddy Dicky or any of this shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, these are unfortunate names for all of the adult men. Yeah,
1: I'm not into it. I'm like, well, but we did just experience a kitty garden orgy, I think, so... uh yeah. Something wackadoodle going on in this world. I love that they won't teach the kids how to read until they're seven, but they're going to let them have a uh, birds and the bees experiment uh, at five.
0: Well, maybe, maybe they're just trying to get them um, used to that sort of contact so that Dick and Willie can have their fun later. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. The doctor was undismayed. I want to help you. You believe that, don't you, Stevie? The child said, Stephen, do I have to lie down? <laughs> the doctor said agreeably, it's more usual to lie down, but you may sit up if you want to. Why don't you like Kitty Garden? Stephen.
1: Hey, at least he, the boy at least he sat- called him the right name. <laughs>
0: yeah. The boy sat up and regarded him warily. The doctor had a kind face, a really kind face, in spite of all those shining teeth. And Stephen was only five years old, after all, and there was nobody to talk to, and he was desperately unhappy. Perhaps, he said, you'll tell them. The doctor shook his head. Nothing goes farther than this room, Stevie. Stephen. (laughs) The child leaned forward, pressing his knees together, hugging himself with his arms, bowing his head. His position was almost fetal. He said, I'm never by myself. They never let me be by myself. The psychiatrist said reasonably, But nobody can live by himself, Stevie. He had apparently forgotten Stephen. (laughs) And the boy did not correct him again. You have to learn to live with other people, to work and play with them, to know them. And the only way you can learn is by being with them. When you can't be with them personally, there's always television. That's how you learn, Stevie. You can't be by yourself.
1: Oh, creepy. The boy
0: looked up at him and said starkly, Never? Never. The gleaming teeth showed. But why should you want to? Stephen said, I don't know. The doctor said slowly and with emphasis, Stevie, long before you were born, the world was a very bad place. There were wars all the time. Do you know why? The boy shook his head. It was because people were different from each other and didn't understand each other and didn't know each other. They had to learn how to be alike and understand and know so that they would be able to live together. They learned in many ways, Stevie. One way was by visiting each other. You've heard about the visitors who come from, Stevie said, you mean the happy tours? Oh, God. This is terrible. Yes. <laughs> when you're 12 years old, you can go on a happy tour. Won't that be fun? Wait, is
1: this a fucking Mormons? What's going on? just uh, like, can go on your mission?
0: Steven said, if I could go alone. The doctor looked at him sharply. But you can't. <laughs> Try to understand, Stevie. You can't. Now tell me, why don't you like to be with other people? Stephen said all the time. Not all the time. The doctor repeated patiently, Why? Stephen looked at the doctor and said a very strange thing. They touch me. Ew. <laughs> he seemed to shrink into himself. Not just with their hands. The doctor shook his head, sadly. Of course they do. That's just, well, maybe you're too young to understand.
1: Ew, what the fuck?
0: I, I hmm. Um, this could either mean the, the overt uncomfortableness that it sounds like, or something much more fantastical and supernatural. No,
1: I think it's much more fantastical and supernatural, I think. I think
0: Um, they touch me not just with their hands, though. Sounds pretty explicitly.
1: Yeah, it's you know not
0: not ideal. Not
1: ideal for a five-year-old to be saying, you know, after.
0: uh. The interview went on for quite a while, and at the end of it, Stephen was given a series of tests which took a week. The psychiatrist had not told the truth. What the boy said during the first interview and all the tests was fully recorded on concealed machines. The complete transcript made a fat dossier in the office of the clinic director. At the end of the tests, the director said seriously to Stephen's parents, I'll be frank with you. You have a brilliant kitty here. Right now, he has the intelligence of a 12-year-old But brilliance has to be channeled in the right direction. Just now, well, frankly, it's channeled in the wrong direction. We'll give it a year or so, and then if things don't clear up, I'm afraid we'll have to correct him.
1: Oh, God.
0: Richard said through dry lips, You mean a stainer? The director nodded. The only thing... What? Harriet shuddered and began to cry. But there's never been anything like that in our family. The disgrace. Oh, Dickie, it would kill me. The director said kindly, There's no disgrace, Mrs. Russell. That's a mistaken idea many people have. These things happen occasionally. Nobody knows why. And there's absolutely no disgrace in a stainer. Nothing is altered but the personality. And afterward, you have a happy, normal kitty who hardly remembers that anything was ever wrong with him. Naturally, nobody ever mentions it, but there's no hurry. In the case of a kitty, we can wait a while. Bring Stevie in once a week. We'll try therapy first. I
1: feel like they're going to lobotomize this child. (laughs) Or like...
0: This... I mean what it's sounding like to me is some of the um, some of the ideology floating around homosexuality right around the time this story would have been written
1: no absolutely it's like we're going to give him conversion therapy or I mean because they said we're going to try therapy first so here we go Yep. Um, and then if that doesn't work then we're going to fucking like brain like put something in his brain that makes him forget who he is yeah, Ugh. well, and Mom's
0: response of, oh, oh, uh, oh, the shame, we've never had one yeah. in the family before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Whew. Being, as the director had said, a brilliant kitty, Steven soon understood much of what was kept from him. It did not take him long to learn what was making his dadsy look stern and white and what was making his mumsy cry. He loved his parents and did not want them to be unhappy, and he certainly did not want to have his head cut open, and so he began to act. Even at five, Stephen discovered in himself a fine talent for acting. He began to conform, to adjust, to merge. He became social and cooperative and acquired the proper attitudes for successful community living. He gave up the old silver voluntarily. He accepted the youth bed. He looked at the happy clown. And he did much better in Kitty Garden. He even joined in the group experimentation and was not sick anymore, though he could not keep himself from losing color.
1: What the fuck? (laughs)
0: They were pleased with him at the clinic, and after a few months discharged him. By the time Stephen was twelve and had made the happy tour and joined the happy scouts and had a happy affair involving experimentation with the neighbor's daughter, Harriet and Richard ceased to worry about him. If sometimes he felt so tightly strung up that a storm of tears was his only relief, He kept the tears quiet.
1: Oh, my gosh. I like Steven, and I want him to be okay. I want him to be himself. Yeah,
0: this is... This is um, really
1: disturbing.
0: This is getting more and more unsettling, and and more and more explicitly exactly as terrible as I thought it was. He was graduated from high school at 16 and from college at 20 having read all he could of the silent books in the scant high school library and the more ample university one and having wisely elected to appear more stupid than he was even his iq was now judged to be only slightly above normal he left college with honors popularity and a reputation as an actor. Oh no,
1: not an actor. He took actor. the lead
0: in. <laughs> <laughs> he took the lead in all the dramatic club plays, having particular success in the reproduction of a happy clown program. Stephen, of course, was the happy clown. He enrolled at once in the New York School of Television Arts, and his mother cried when he left home to live in the school dormitory. Wait, did he go
1: to AMDA? Yeah. He basically went to to clown land AMDA.
0: Yep. After his starring role as... The
1: happy clown.
0: Ronald McDonald in...
1: In McDonald's the musical. Yeah.
0: I wonder if anyone's pitched that I mean, to McDonald's. Coming this autumn to Broadway, Ronald, the Ronald McDonald musical. The
1: true story.
0: <laughs> in my head, it's basically just Les Mis, except the students are all in clown makeup. Yeah. And the soldiers all look like Grimace. And the <laughs> Tenardiers are, are dressed as like the Hamburglar.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah.
0: And they're all fighting for the right to eat beef.
1: <laughs> Give me your beef. Mm, beef.
0: It's what's for dinner.
1: Beef. <laughs>
0: Dick Russell's beef. Dick. It's what's for dinner. D-
1: Dickie Russell's beef.
0: <laughs> Stephen did well at television arts, soon taking more leads than was customary in school productions, which were organized on a strictly repertory basis. He did not stay to graduate, being snatched away in the first year by a talent scout for a popular daytime serial, The Happy Life. The Happy Life recounted the trials of a young physician too beautiful for his own good who became involved in endless romantic complications. Stephen was given the lead, the preceding actor having moved up to a job as understudy for Jolly Kitten and was an immediate success. For one thing, he looked the part. He was singularly handsome in the lean, dark-browed way that did not need flattering makeup or special camera angles. He had a deep, vibrant voice and perfect timing. He could say, Darling, this is tearing me to pieces with precisely the right intonation and let tears come into his magnificent eyes and make his jaw muscles jump appealingly and hold the pose easily for the five minutes between the ten minute pitch for marquis cigarettes, which constituted one episode of The Happy Life. His fan mail... Was prodigious.
1: He's in like Days of Our Lives. <laughs> it's like some yep, terrible yeah, yeah. soap opera. Um,
0: he booked. He booked One Life to Live.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He's ready to go. When
0: the previous lead, when the previous lead became an understudy on Teletubbies. Oh,
1: yeah, uh, Jolly Kitten. <laughs> it's, it's like, ew.
0: <laughs> if Stephen had moments of bewilderment, of self-loathing of despair, when the tears were real and the jaw muscles jumped to keep the mouth from screaming, no one in the happy young men's dormitory where he slept ever knew it. He managed his life well enough. He had a few affairs with girls, it was expected of one. And he did not have to work very hard at it since they always threw themselves at him. And he got along well with other young men who forgave him for being so handsome because he did not work at it except on camera. But he was lonely. Surrounded by people, intruded and trespassed upon, continually touched in ways other than physical. He was yet lonely. What the fuck? During his life, he had met a few other nonconformists, shy like him, wary of revealing themselves, but something always seemed to happen to them. Some were miserable being nonconformists and asked pitifully for the stainer. Some were detected, as Stephen had been, and some were unfortunately surprised in hospitals. Under the anesthetic, they sometimes talked, and then, if they were adults, they were immediately corrected by means of Stainer's lobotomy.
1: So, they, literally lobotomizing?
0: Yep. Wow. It had been learned that adults did not respond to therapy.
1: <laughs> wow. There was never
0: any organization, any underground of misfits an underground presupposes injustice to be fought cruelty to be resisted and there was no injustice and no cruelty the mass of people were kind and their leaders duly and fairly elected were kind they all sincerely believed in the gospel of efficiency and conformity and kindness it had made the world a wonderful place to live in, full of wonderful things to make and buy and consume, all wonderfully advertised. And if one were a misfit and the doctors found it out and gave one a stainer, it was only to make one happy so that one could appreciate what a wonderful world it was. <laughs> Stephen met no non-conformists at the School of Television Arts and none while he was acting in The Happy Life until Denise Cotrell joined the cast.
1: Here comes Denise, Denise.
0: <laughs> called Denny, of course, was a pleasantly plain young woman with a whimsical face which photographed pretty and remarkable dark blue eyes. It was her eyes which first made Stephen wonder. They mirrored his own hope and longing and the desperate loneliness of the exile. For two months, they were together as often as they could be, talked intellectual treason in public under cover of conventional faces, and talking intellectual treason in private with excitement and laughter and sometimes tears, falling in love. They planned, after much discussion, to be married and to bring up a dozen clever rebel children. Denise said soberly, They'd better be clever, because they'll have to learn to hide.
1: Oh, But he found somebody that love. makes me happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing this there's not enough go- of this story left, that that's oh, not going to turn no, out well. No, it's not
1: going to turn out well, but at least he's happy right now. <laughs> like, yeah. for a brief moment. <laughs>
0: They made love in Denise's apartment when her roommate, Pauline, Polly, was out. As awkwardly as if there had never been any group experimentation or happy affairs. Denise said wonderingly, when you really love someone, it's all new. Isn't that strange? And Stephen said, kissing her, no, not strange at all. He took her to meet his family. Denise's family lived 3,000 miles away, and she behaved with such perfect decorum and charm that Richard and Harriet were delighted and as eager as Stephen for the wedding. Stephen had agreed reluctantly to put it off until Denise had a chance to introduce him to her parents. Oh, no. They were coming east at Christmas. She laughed over it and said, I'm being terribly conventional, darling, but... That's one convention I like.
1: Oh no, oh no. I don't want her parents to come. They're gonna they're gonna fuck it up.
0: <laughs> While they waited, Stephen's agent secured a really unprecedented opportunity for so young and relatively untried an actor. The current happy clown was unhappily retiring by reason of age and infirmity, and Stephen's agent arranged a tryout for the part. He said, give it all you got, kid. It's the chance of the century. Steven said, sure, Joey, and allowed his sensitive face to register all the proper emotions. Actually, his emotions were, in the vernacular of a previous century, mixed. He loathed the whole concept of the happy clown, but there was money in it. And Stephen was not rebel enough to despise money. (laughs) With money, he could retire early, go away somewhere with Denise to some country place where they could be relatively free of pressure. Over staggering competition, he got the part.
1: Oh, shit.
0: He called Denise up at once from a booth at the studio to tell her. Polly answered the phone, looking pale and frightened over the viewer, and said rapidly, Oh, Stevie, I've been trying to get you for an hour. Denny's uh-uh. sick. They took her to the hospital. No! <laughs> Steven sat back against the hard wall of the booth, feeling cold, the receiver slack in his hand. He said, What's the matter with her? Which hospital? Appendicitis? happy hour polly began to cry oh stevie i feel so i'll go right over he cut her off abruptly and went oh no the doctors caught denise's appendix in time to avoid the necessary but rarely fatal complications but under the anesthetic she talked revealing enough about her opinion of television and the happy clown cult and the state of society in general to cause her doctors to raise their eyebrows pityingly and perform the stainer at once. While Stephen sat unknowing in the waiting room, smoking a full pack of Marquis cigarettes, the thing was done.
1: Oh, Jesus. Oh, man.
0: At last, the doctor came out to him and said what was always said in such cases. It was necessary to do something, you understand. No mention. And for a moment, Stephen felt so ill that he was grateful for the little ampoule the doctor broke and held under his nose. They always carried those when they had to give news of a stainer to relatives, or sweethearts, or friends. The doctor said, "'All right now? Good. Uh, You'll be careful, of course. She may be conscious for a minute, there's no harm in it, yet she won't move or touch the...' Stephen said, "'I'll be careful.' He was still feeling ill when they let him in to see Denise. He sat down beside her bed and spoke to her urgently. "'Denise, talk to me. Please, Denise!' She opened her eyes, looked at him drowsily, and smiled. "'Oh, Stevie, I'm so glad you came. I've been wanting you, darling.' Stephen said, "'Denise.' She frowned. "'Why do you call me that? Call me Denny. Did you get the part, darling?' He drew back a little. Yes, I I got it. She gave him a radiant smile. That's wonderful. I'm so proud of you, Stevie. She slept again. That night at the HYM dormitory, Stephen did not sleep. He lay quiet, tense, hoping for the relief of tears but it did not come.
1: Oh my god, this is so fucking fucked up.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is, um...
1: I did not know when I picked the story The Happy Clown from a sci-fi magazine that it was gonna go dark. <laughs> <laughs> Holy well,
0: shit. Well, I mean, yes. sci-fi, you know, you know, good sci-fi tends to address um, oh,
1: yeah. it's topical a, oh, abso- issues. Oh, absolutely, and but...
0: Certainly in in the throes of, I don't know exactly what year this came out, but I'm guessing we're in the throes of McCarthyism.
1: Oh, yeah, it's
0: 1955. Um, it's yeah, yeah. the 50s. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Oh, my God. It's just... Well, and I will say that the this is the... That was the first time a couple paragraphs ago that they referred to it as the Happy Clown Cult. That yeah. was the first time cult came up because it feels like a cult. It's just like a fucking massive cult. Like, it's yeah. a society-wide cult. It's, it's a cult, cult that
0: everyone is a part of.
1: Yeah. Or you are... Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. This is so, like... <laughs> Like, I'm, I, I, uh, uh, I'm just, I'm very invested in where this story is going, so I keep forgetting to be funny.
0: (laughs) That's, that's right. Sometimes we don't do the funny thing, and that's just fine. No,
1: it's just a, it's a really good story. This is creepy as fuck, man.
0: (laughs) Stephen went to see Denise every day, though after the first time, she was not awake to know him. The doctors were keeping her under sedation until the head bandage could be removed. So far as Denise was to know, she had gone to the hospital simply for a rather protracted appendectomy. Looking at her, Stephen knew that he could never leave her. He had loved her completely. He would love her now with as much of himself as she would need or understand. For a while, he waited to be kindly questioned, to be thoroughly examined to be tenderly given the shot in the arm and to awake like her. But nobody came. Denise had apparently said nothing about him. Some censor or other, perhaps it was the censor of love, had kept her from even saying his name. For a while, Stephen considered confessing to somebody that he was a... what? An unacceptable member of society then they would make him like Denise. He shuddered. Did he really want to be like Denise? Some stubborn pride in him refused it. Mm. When Denise left the hospital for the hotel where she would stay until the wedding, Stephen was more gentle with her than ever, kinder and more loving. He made her very happy. He made love to her again, and it was like loving a ghost. No, it was like loving a fine beautiful body without the ghost, without the spirit. Mm. He returned to the HYM to lie sleepless amid the breathing and mutterings of other young men, turning restlessly in his bed, feeling oppressed, tormented, strung on wires. He rehearsed feverishly for the part of the happy clown and because he was a fine craftsman and a conscientious artist he continued to give it all he had not
1: 75% <laughs> because
0: even though it is a part that he vehemently he disagrees vehemently with, and, disagrees with and, of. and
1: hates but he's given it all he has
0: the sponsors were pleased a week before christmas the current happy clown retired and hobbled off to a nursing home there was no fanfare. The public was not to realize that the happy clown was mortal, and Stephen took over with no visible change. For five days, he played the part to perfection.
1: Oh Lord, oh Lord, this is so creepy. He's like their fucking like God now. I hope he just. I hope he like destroys society with like one broadcast he just looks right at the camera and like takes off the makeup and is like it's all bullshit
0: <laughs> which, which would also be like so more movies that this feels like it inspires um uh network
1: oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, like it's all for bullshit. five
0: days he played the part to perfection On the sixth day, he performed as usual, perhaps a little better. His commercials had a special fervor, and the sponsors exchanged happy glances. Denise was sitting in the booth with them. She smiled at Stephen lovingly through the glass. Stephen was running a little fast tonight. The engineer made stretching motions with his hands to slow him down, but he used up all his material, even the nugget, with three minutes to spare. Then he said, All right, folks. Now I have a special treat for you. He's gonna do it! I moved quickly to the center mic. Oh, shit! Before the sponsors or the engineers or the studio audience or anybody in the whole American nation knew what was happening, he began rapidly to talk. He's doing it! (laughs) He said... Are you all happy? You are, aren't you? Everybody's happy because you're all sheep. All (laughs) sheep in a nice, safe pasture, all alike. You eat alike, you dress alike, and think alike. If any of you has an original thought, you'd better suppress it, or they'll cut it out of you with a knife. He leaned forward and made a horrible face at the camera under the jolly makeup and the artful padding. His mouth was shockingly twisted and tears were running out of his eyes. A long, sharp knife, folks. He paused momentarily to recover his voice, which had begun to shake. Go on, being happy. Go on, being sheep. Wear the clothesies and eat the foodsies and don't dare think. Me, I'd rather be dead and damned and in hell. Oh,
1: shit. Oh, fuck.
0: Fortunately, nobody heard the last three sentences. The paralyzed engineer had recovered in time to cut him off during the pause and had signaled the stagehand to draw the curtain and the sound man to play the happy clown sign-off record loud. Mm. Stephen finished himself thoroughly, however, by repeating the same sentiments with some others he happened to think of to Denise and the sponsors when they all came pouring out of the booth. Then, he collapsed.
1: Oh, man.
0: Steven Stainer was a complete success. He recovered from it a subdued, agreeable, and thoroughly conventional young man who had the impression that he had suffered a nervous breakdown. He was discharged from the happy hour at the end of January, Innocently leaving behind him the broken hearts of three nurses and one female physician and went home to his parents. During his convalescence, they were patient with him and passionately kind. In spite of the disgrace they felt, a disgrace that would never be mentioned, they loved him even better than before because now he was irrevocably like them. God. Denise was lost to him. The outburst in the studio and the stainer and the loss of the happy clown part were cumulatively too much for her. She broke the engagement and was heard to say that Stevie Russell had proved himself an absolute fool. He was miserable over it, though he had only a hazy idea of what he had done or why Denny should suddenly be so unkind to him. The Happy Clown incident had passed off, well, immediately after it occurred, a powerful battery of comedians, including the Jolly Kitten and the Dancing Dogsy, forgetting rivalries to rally round in a crisis, went on the air to ensure that it passed off well. They made certain that every viewer should regard the whole thing as a tremendously funny joke, if rather mystifying. The viewers fell in with this opinion easily and laughed about the sheep joke a good deal, admiring the happy clown's sense of humor. A little sharp, to be sure, not so folksy and down-to-earth as usual, but the happy clown could do no wrong. They said to each other, He laughed till he cried. Did you notice? Oh, so did I. For a while, teenagers addressed each other as, Hi, sheep. Girls were, Hi Lamb and a novelty company in Des Moines made a quick killing with scatter pins fashioned like sheep and or lambs
1: Wait I love that we just ended up in Iowa like <laughs> It's the only location that has been mentioned other than like New York so, yeah Des Moines Iowa. All right
0: but around the studios Stephen was dead. Stainer or no stainer, and of course that part of it was never openly discussed, sponsors had long memories, and the consensus seemed to be that it was best to let sleeping sheep lie. (laughs) Stephen did not care. He no longer had any particular desire to be an actor. Stephen went to work in his father's supermarket and was happy among the shelves of Oatsies and Cornsies and Jelsies. He got over Denise after a while and met a girl named Francis, Franny, whom he loved and whom loved him. They were married in the summer and had a little house with as much furniture in it as they could afford. The first thing they bought was a television set. After all, as Stevie said, he would not want to miss the happy clown.
1: The end so much! Oh my god, that was so disturbing!
0: That that was definitely one of the more fucked up stories we've read and I'm including anything by H.P. Lovecraft and the Black Cat in that sentiment.
1: I agree! Like, holy fuck! I, I thought it was gonna be about a clown!
0: It was!
1: It was! It made, that's, uh, this is why clowns are scary, y'all! Like, what? Terrifying. So th-
0: this this was the most upsettingly clown corner heavy episode of Campfire Classics we have done.
1: Yeah. See what you've created? See what's happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh my I've god. I've also only
0: just realized that the initials of Clown Corner are the same as the initials of Campfire Classics.
1: They are. <laughs> CC. <laughs>
0: hadn't, put, hadn't put that together yet.
1: I had not either. Um oh my god. Okay, first of all. She's an amazing writer. Like what? Like a, Yeah. Yeah. What that's
0: a really cool stuff.
1: Cra- like it it like I mean, just to the point that it reminded us of so much modern literature and television and movies and um it, it's just ew. <laughs> like,
0: well, it but like it was very much like the most explicit condemnation was condemnation of this sort of cult of conformity. Yeah. Um, which uh, totally makes sense given when she was writing. And Absolutely. what she would be seeing in the world. Um,
1: well, that's why it gave me Stepford Wives and like that that kind of feel because that was the 50s when that yeah. s- story came out. And it's very much like everyone's smiling and everyone's like in a great like, you know everyone's just happy and it's everything's good it's oh it's just so yucky <laughs> no but like i'm just this story is so i i feel like it was very influential on people <laughs> like yeah like on writers i i mean <laughs>
0: And if, if it wasn't directly influential, it's like, it, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that a lot of these things that we've been referencing, the the writers have no idea about this story. It's just that she was like, she was on the cutting edge of what the genre does. Yeah. And so whether whether directly or indirectly, whether intentionally or unintentionally, um, stories that followed her in the genre are going to be snagging ideas that she used yeah, back in
1: 1955. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm glad I stumbled upon that one, even though it was extremely disturbing. Uh, Miss yeah. Alice Eleanor Jones is a was yeah. a badass well writer. Well, well, fucking done
0: so what did you think of this story campers? Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? Did you feel like this was just the most unnecessarily protracted clown (laughs) corner that we have ever. Um, Please let us know what you thought of this story, uh, whether you enjoyed it or not. I just I want to I want to hear your thoughts because um, clearly it triggered some strong stuff in us so much so that this might go on record as one of our least funny episodes, if not Necessarily least engaging. We just yeah, it, ended it up losing started, a lot of the humor, but that's it okay. It
1: started weird. Like it started with stupid yeah. songs about your head being on a on a tripod, which I took a picture of by the way, so I can show you what I was looking at. Um, and I'll put that right. on the uh, website. Um, but like <laughs> it's um.
0: Please do message us on social media. Look for Campfire Classics uh, podcast on any of the social media or shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of this story about this episode. Please include that little five second video of you dancing to the music. I hope that you really did that. And of course, include this week's secret passcode, which is Uncle (laughs) Willie.
1: Uncle Willie is the worst.
0: Yeah. Uh, what an unfortunate name.
1: <laughs>
0: he picked it himself. He, well, um, yes, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, that's everything I've got. Any um, final thoughts before we shoot off?
1: Um. Don't be a sheep. Go vote. <laughs> it all came full circle. Hey, Georgia, go vote. Yep.
0: <laughs> and on that note Until next week This has been Campfire Classics Where we try to read those books That look really good on your shelf I'm the
1: happy clown You're watching my show